Our scripture reading for this morning comes out of the book of Luke, um, and I'll be reading from chapter 12, verse 49 through to 13, verse 9, reading from the New Living Translation. This is Jesus speaking. I have come to set the world on fire, and I wish it were already burning. I have a terrible baptism of suffering ahead of me, and I am under a heavy burden until it is accomplished. Do you think I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I have come to divide people against each other. From now on, families will be split apart, three in favor of me and two against, or two in favor and three against. Father will be divided against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, and mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Then Jesus turned to the crowd and said, When you see clouds beginning to form in the west, you say, Here comes a shower, and you are right. When the south wind blows, you say, Today will be a scorcher, and it is. You fools, you know how to interpret the weather signs of the earth and sky, but you don't know how to interpret the present times. Why can't you decide for yourselves what is right? When you are on the way to court with your accuser, try to settle the matter before you get there. Otherwise, your accuser may drag you before the judge, who will hand you over to an officer, who will throw you into prison. And if that happens, you won't be free again until you have paid the very last penny. About this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. Do you think those Galileans were worse, worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee, Jesus asked? Is that why they suffered? Not at all. And you will perish too, unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. And what about the 18 people who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? No. And I tell you again that unless you repent, you will perish too. Then Jesus told this story. A man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it, but he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to the gardener, I've waited three years and there hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. It's just taking up space in the garden. The gardener answered, Sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year and I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. If we get figs next year, fine. If not, then you can cut it down. Well, good morning, everyone. I want to say thanks for having me. This is exciting for me. Um, we're in person. We're back in the sanctuary for the first time in what feels like a long time. And that's exciting. So you can go, yay. You can, you can clap and say, yay. That's exciting. My name is Devin. Um, I feel humbled and honored to have a chance to speak to you this morning. Uh, I've seen the trend. My wife and I and our two little girls have been coming to Elevation for about five months. So as you can tell, it's not very long. And so I feel doubly honored for the trust that's been given to me to be able to teach you in, in any level and in any way this morning. So thanks again. And just with this whole me pre-recording and quite possibly being in the sanctuary, watching myself speak to myself right now, I just can't help the temptation to do this. So I'm sorry, but hey, Devin. Hey, wifey. Looking good. And to those of you who are at home watching from the comfort of your own couches this morning, don't worry. If I am at home this morning and not in the sanctuary watching myself, don't worry. I am in my pajamas as well. 
so we're all comfy and together in that way. Earlier this week, I was thinking about the years I've spent going skiing with my family. Uh, not a lot. We're kind of the once-a-year kind of skiers since I was 12 or 13 or something like that. I, I don't want you to give the impression that I'm all that good. See, we ski in the way of people who have been skiing once a year for too long without any major injuries or anything like that. So maybe a little too confidence without too much of the flair. That's kind of us. You know, we like to go fast, we're smacking each other with a ski pole as we go by, tap the branch above us as we go underneath so that the person behind you gets the snow to fall on them, stuff like that. That's us on the ski hill. Not, not to strangers, not to people I don't know, just, uh, just to each other, mostly. And one of the things we really like to do, and one of the most satisfying things you can do to someone on the ski hill, is to snow them. I don't know if you know what I mean by snowing someone on the ski hill, but this is, I'll describe it this way. Imagine you're watching the Olympics and there's someone going down full alpine, giant slalom, something like that. And they're coming down, they cross the finish line super fast and they go into one of those long, epic, big stops and there's that safety wall in the back that just gets covered in this big plastering wall of snow. Well, snowing someone on the ski hill is basically that. Except, you know, that safety wall is a person, which just makes it so satisfying to cover someone head to toe. You know, I've described before this way. My family, it's, uh, aggravation is a bit of a love language for us. I don't know why. I can't explain it. That's just the way it is. So one year, long time ago, my dad's coming down the hill. And he sees my younger brother and I kind of standing off to the side. And for no reason other than the pure joy of it, he snows us just perfectly. This huge tidal wave of snow just hits us head to foot. You know, just buffeting. And he cackles, see ya suckers. And he kind of takes off down the rest of the hill laughing. So he gets to the bottom. And me and my younger brother are waiting there for him like, where have you been? What took so long? Now you have to understand, you're wearing the helmet, you got the ski goggles on, you got the mask on, everything. You don't know who anybody is. And you just know that right now there's someone off telling a story about this random guy who snowed him and his friend and then just skied off and yelled, see ya suckers. Now that look on my dad's face when he realizes what's happening it's just a thing of beauty. I don't know if you've watched a lot of 90s sitcoms, but you know that moment when someone, one of the characters are just like, wait, but if you're here, then, then who was, oh no. It's a beautiful thing to see on someone's face. It's absolutely lovely. Now that feeling, that feeling of, oh no, what did I do? What have I gotten myself into? That was me when I looked at the passage for the first time for this morning. Yeah. Oh no, what have I gotten myself into? But despite that, I'm excited. I'm excited to get into this. I'm excited to, to dive into this passage. I, I, I really am. But I wanna promise you, we are going somewhere with this. Because this passage, as you've heard already from the reading, it, it's a lot. 
There's a lot on here, right? You can imagine why I have this feeling of desperation. It's got everything a speaker wants, right? It's got, it's got fire. It's got, you know, impending destruction without the lack of repentance. It's got the sword dividing families, buildings collapsing on people. It's got the blood of humans mixed with sacrifices to desecrate a temple. It's got the word hypocrites with a big exclamation point, right? It hits all the big hits. It hits everywhere I want to go in something like this. And I'm excited to look at it. And to start off, I want to just take a moment, because as I said, it's a lot. It's going to take a minute to get through all this. And I think that we're going to get somewhere special. We're going to get to a really good, a really simple thing. But it's going to take a minute. Simple, but not easy. Simple, but not easy. We are going to get there. So let's take a second, take a breath. What I like to do before I'm reading scripture or I'm praying in any way, just take a deep breath in and out as long as you can. Why don't you do that with me? In and out. There. Now that we're all nice and relaxed, Let's take a look at one of my favorite all-time Jesus quotes from Luke 12, 49. I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. Boom. Glorious. And right there already, we want to get back to the Sermon on the Mount, right? We want to hear a nice story about loving our neighbor or, or something like that. Wouldn't that be better? Then fire encompassing the entire earth and the joy in it being kindled and burning everywhere. But don't worry, the rest of this paragraph, I think, develops on the whole fire burning over the earth thing. In 15 on, it says, But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is completed. Do you think that I have come to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. So what? No son-in-law against father-in-law? I don't know why. We have to ask ourselves an important question. Do you believe that Jesus came to the world to bring peace? Right? It's an important question. Do you think that Jesus came to the world to bring peace? If you're anything like me, the answer comes directly and immediately and powerfully. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a pacifist. I believe in completely in taking every step you can of personal sacrifice to bring peace to the world and never bringing violence or evil to someone else. I'm not saying I'm great at it. I'm saying that's what I believe in on principle, based entirely off the things that Jesus said and taught in his life. I believe and I strive in every way to bring peace to the world in my life and in the lives of other people based entirely on the teachings that Jesus gave us. Jesus the Prince of Peace, right? Jesus, the guy who would rather be arrested and crucified than let any of his followers defend him through violence. That's the kind of Jesus that I believe in. 
That's what I believe he stood for is important. And if I stood in front of just about any church and ask, did Jesus come to bring peace? The answer would come back powerfully and immediately. Yeah. I mean, those churches would believe and mean different things by that, of course. But the answer would come back. Jesus came to bring peace. So we have to ask ourselves another important question. Why is it that this Jesus of peace that we all assume and know is the Jesus of peace? Why does what he says here about division, even within the family, just ring so true for us right now? I mean, it's something you've experienced, I'm sure. We're living in a culture, in a world that has experienced more division and polarization than ever, to the point where it's just incredibly cliche to point out the fact that we're seeing more division and polarization than ever. We've heard it a hundred times by now. But here is something really interesting because Jesus of peace is bringing this division. And we know that can't be right. And yet it is something that rings so true and real in our lives right now. Have you seen division in your family, in your workplace, with your neighbors? Maybe you haven't. If you haven't seen any division, God bless you. And for literally every other one of us, this is something that is speaking truly to our hearts and our souls right now. We see a world of division. Now what I'm hoping to accomplish this morning is nothing more than just understanding what Jesus is trying to teach us in this passage. And as I said before, this is going to take us to a really simple, but not easy place. Simple, but not easy. And we're just going to look at it in a little bit of a different order. If we go to the end of the passage for this morning, it talks about a fig tree. Now, I don't think we need to read it or anything. It really is a pretty simple story. There's a fig tree, and the tree doesn't have any figs. So therefore, they want to cut down the fig tree that doesn't have any figs, so that they can plant something new. And they say, no, no, wait, let's wait. Let's not cut down the fig tree yet. Let's just wait and see. And that's it. The whole parable ends on a bit of a cliffhanger. It's nothing better than a nice cliffhanger parable, right? You gotta leave it open in the end. And I do think that there's something to that. So the parable itself is really simple, but the meaning behind the parable is actually very simple as well. I mean, fruit and the presence of fruit is an incredibly common usage of metaphor throughout scripture. You just think immediately about Jesus with the vine and the branches, right? He says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. And the branches that have fruit are the good ones that he keeps, and the branches that don't have fruit are the ones that get thrown into the fire. Seems familiar to some of this. There's the fruits of the spirit. The fruits of the spirit are good. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if you're wondering how I can rhyme those off, it's because, yes, there is a children's song just ringing through my head over and over again. Long story. They're good. The fruits are good. If we look at Micah in the Old Testament, Micah 7.2, we see how this is part of the entire biblical story right from the beginning. Micah 7.1-2 says, What misery is mine? I am like the one who gathers summer fruit, at the gleaning of the vineyard, there is no cluster of grapes to eat, none of the early fruit figs that I crave. The godly 
have been swept from the land. Not one upright man remains. All men lie in wait to shed blood. Each hunts his brother with a net. And that passage is an incredible description of God coming to the vineyard. He's looking for fruit. He's looking for figs. He's looking for grapes. And he can't find anything. And this is immediately and directly compared to a nation that is divided against each other and people who are divided against people and even to the point of violence. And that's what's happening with this fig tree illustration in Luke. It is describing this lack of fruit as a lack of cohesion and more importantly, a lack of repentance and a lack of reconciliation between the people that are there. This problem is described as each other. If we look at the paragraph right before it, and this is one that we definitely need to actually look at. Luke 13, 1 to 5 says, Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Now, this is one of those passages where in the past, over the years, I've definitely come to it a number of times and read it, and I thought to myself, mm, nope, got nothing, and I just continue on. And don't pretend like you've never done something like that. Sometimes it's just too much and you got to keep going. So here's my attempt to describe what's going on here. Jesus talks about two different stories. One, there's the time when Pilate, who is the Judean Roman governor at the time, you might recognize Pilate from a different New Testament story. Yeah, same guy. So he executes some Galilean Jews. He mixes their blood with the sacrifices of the temple in order to just desecrate what's going on there. You know, fun. Uh, the second story is a story about, I don't know, it's a story, it's a reference to a tower that falls on and kills 18 people. Again, this is fun stuff. Now, as far as I know, we don't know anything concrete about these two events historically. As far as I know, we don't know, I could be wrong. I don't think we know much about them historically. Unfortunately, a tower killing 18 people and a governor taking human blood to desecrate a place of worship just wasn't newsworthy in the first century. That's how great things were back then. What's important is the things that Jesus says. He says two things, two the same things about these both different stories. One, he says that these things did not happen to them because of some sort of evil, personal, grand sin that they committed. And this is important. Remember, this is a culture that believed that bad things happened to bad people. So if something bad happens to you, like a tower falling on, that kind of bad luck, then the conclusion is obvious. But Jesus says, no, that's not what ha what's happening. But the second thing he says about both these stories is that even though that's true, even though this didn't happen because of their personal sin, unless you repent, 
then you will all be destroyed. And there's an interesting phrasing there in the Greek. Unless you, singular, repent, then you will all, plural, be destroyed. Now try following me on this. The problem is not personal. It's communal, right? The problem is not personal. It's communal. It's not a personal sin of these people who had this tragedy happen to them, right? It's not a personal problem. It's a communal problem. It's a story about divisions in the family themselves because it's not a personal problem. It's a communal problem. You know, unless you singular, then you all plural because it's not a personal problem. It's a communal problem. The fig tree, a nation, will be uprooted or chopped down unless there's individual fruit. It's not a personal problem. It's a communal problem. You know, I think that Jesus understands and sees the reality of division. He sees our capacity for harm in every possible way. Even, even with the best things that there are in life, even with Jesus himself, we will find ways to divide over it and we will find ways to fight over it. We have an incredible way to look for ways to divide and to bring harm to each other. No matter how big or small the issue is, no matter how holy or evil, no matter how global or personal, we will find ways to divide over it, we will find ways to hurt each other over it, and we will find ways to bring violence into it because of it. You feeling better yet? You know, the world Jesus spoke to immediately in this passage, it was divided too. For a lot of good reasons in some ways. They had some big issues to work out. The Jews of that time who were occupied by the Roman powers, they knew a lot of great division. And just imagine, how do we deal with his occupation? How do we deal with our money when the taxes we pay goes to paying the occupiers in our midst? How do we practice our faith when doing so properly is going to bring down the destruction of the Romans? Jesus spoke to a very divided world. He understood what it meant. He understood what it was like. And it's almost too easy to look at that world and to look at ours and see what's going on. Try this. Mask, trucker, vaccine distancing, right? That's fun. Again, if you haven't seen any division in your life, if you haven't seen it, God bless you. For the rest of us, we have a problem. We have a problem. The problem is each other. The problem is each other. The problem is not a personal one. It's a communal one. It's the tree, it's the family, it's the nation, it's the groups affected by these catastrophes. The problem is each other. Now, I promised you that we were going to come to a simple but not easy place. And we're about to look there, which is my absolute favorite bit. Let's take a look at Luke 12, 57 to 59, where he says... Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you are getting, as you are going with your ad adversary to the magistrate, 
try hard to be reconciled to him on the way, or he may drag you off to the judge, and the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid every last penny. Now this little bit almost seems like Jesus just kind of came up with this while he was on his whole tirade and threw it in there before he forgot, right? Oh yeah, by the way, here's, a, here's how you stay in prison. But I don't think that this is what's going on here. I think that this is it. I think that this is what he meant. I think that this is what he was after. I think that this is the repentance that God is talking about. I think that this is the fire. I think that the, the swords, the buildings, the tree, everything is coming down to this point. Be reconciled with your adversary. You know, one thing I love about this short little parable here is that there's no crime, right? The crime isn't mentioned at all. There's nothing like that going on. It's just the reconciliation. Because there is no crime, it is be reconciled or you will go to prison. And that is an incredible moment of saying, it's the failure to reconcile that imprisons us. Two, it's that I'm at fault, right? Jesus speaks to his followers and he says, while you are on the way, right? As you are going with your adversary, there's this idea that you, you're at fault here. You did something wrong. And this is something that can be tricky in the act of reconciliation is realizing and looking for the reasons of how you are at fault. And yet that is something we have to do sometimes. The third one is that this, the third thing I love about this parable, is that it doesn't exactly tell us to be reconciled with your adversary. It tells you to try hard, which I love, right? Try hard to be reconciled with your adversary. That's a great line. It's the opposite of the Jedi way, where Yoda says, do or do not, there is no try. Jesus says, you know what? Try, right? That's all you can do. In fact, I would say that it is in the attempt to reconcile that we actually find success. You know, we barely have control over our own feelings and emotions and ideas, right? We can't control someone else's. And therefore, it's in the attempt to reconcile that we find success because that is the limit of what we have to actually bring to the situation. The word here is a Greek word, um, ergasian. It just means to bring an earnestness to what you're doing. Try hard. Genuinely give what you can in order to make this happen. Try hard. So it's, repent, it's repentance through reconciliation that we're after. We have to recognize the way we are at fault, and we have to try hard. And this is it, right? I promised you something simple. It's simple. I also said it's not easy, and it's not. And this is the simple, not easy thing that it comes to. Be reconciled to your adversary. And you might be thinking to yourself, come on, this how could this possibly have the power to do anything within the astronomical issues that we are facing in the world today? Well, you can argue that with Jesus, not with me. I, I'm just the one sitting here doing this. But like, even I can see how this is a ground-shaking idea. This, this is a huge foundational shifting kind of thing. 
Be reconciled with your adversary. Not be correct over your adversary. Not be more clever than your adversary. But be reconciled to your adversary. As I said, I think that this is it. This is the fire. This is the repentance that God wants. And you can see this. You can see this Jesus fire thing working. You can see the way that if enough people decided that they're going to give up all that other stuff and they're just going to say, I'm going to be reconciled with my adversary. I'm going to choose reconciliation over everything else. That would be the repentance we need. That would become that fire that's burning across the world, making a huge, huge difference, burning through existence. I can see and understand Jesus' hope that that fire would be kindled in the hearts of his believers to be thrown everywhere and everywhere it touches. Let Jesus' fire burn through us all over the world. So let's take a second to breathe, right? It's a lot. There's a lot going on here. But I think you'll see it, right? Take some time over the next couple days. You read Luke 12, 49 to 13, 9. And I think you'll be able to see it, how everything there, every little bit, every little piece is pointing us towards this idea of be reconciled with your adversary. That's what the repentance is. That's what the fire is. That's what the family thing is. That's what it all is. That's what Jesus wants. That's what he's pushing us towards. But the real question is, how? Right? This is where it gets not easy from the simple. And the problem is, you know, this is a sermon, not a manifesto. There's <laughs> so many books, huge books, great books, great speakers, great ideas about how to reconcile with people. It's a big, huge, giant discussion. I'm not going to leave you here with nothing. I've got a few things. I, I'm pretty simple. I want to give you something we can work out in the discussion. And a few things that I believe, and if you put into practice, will really help to make reconciliation an, as, uh, an important aspect of how you're living your life. One, giving and blessing. Jesus said, give to those who take from you and bless those who curse you. It's a simple thing. We don't have time for that sermon. It's another simple, not easy thing. Let's come up with a hypothetical. Let's say that you are for masks and you have a neighbor, a friend, a family member who is not for masks. They hate them. They, they just get angry and aggressive whenever they, they hear about it or they have to deal with it. And every time you show up at their door with a mask, it doesn't go well. But it takes a special kind to remain mad and aggressive if you show up wearing a mask and bearing pie, right? Pie can solve so many of the world's issues. When you come to bless someone and to give to them in some way, it shows, look, I'm here, I'm wearing my mask, we still have our disagreement, but my care for you, my love for you, it transcends this issue. And I still want to bless you, and I still want to give to you, I want to be here for you, and I don't want everything to end just because of this. Transcending the issue it's an important thing. Where there's someone who loves something you hate or hates something you love, the act of giving shows that transcendence. Oh, speaking of something totally off topic, um, I hate something you love. 
right? I hate it. There's this thing you love that I hate. And I prefer strawberry or apple. But seriously, don't show up in my house with food. I've got a ton of food allergies. Just, just show up. It'll be fine. I would ask you to be careful with how you choose to bless and give. If we take that same hypothetical, if you show up with the mask to someone who hates masks and your gift to them is a box of masks, that's probably not going to go the way you hope it's going to go. Two, listen, right? Listen. James 1.19 says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I don't even know if I needed to quote that in order to show you that listening would be an important biblical principle. But we are terrible at listening today. Just absolutely terrible. I find that our listening only ever goes so far as to come up with what we're going to say back or how we're going to deconstruct what they're saying. We listen, we listen for a word or a phrase, and now we understand their entire opinion on everything that they're saying. And we're ready to just deconstruct it, tear it apart, and show them in every way how they're wrong. Or right, if we're ready to, to agree with them. That is possible as well. You know, I'm uh, hesitant to do another nerdy example. I already quoted Yoda before, but I'm going to do it anyway. I don't know if you remember back in the 8-bit gaming days, the old original Nintendo. Any of you know Mega Man? Yeah. The 2D little blue guy with an arm cannon running across the screen fighting robots. Those are the days. It was awesome. What Mega Man is known for is the boss fights. You get to the end of every level, and there's a boss fight. Doors close, one-on-one, -on -one, music swells, and it's just fantastic. But again, this is 8-bit, this is right? This is not an AI you're fighting. This is just a pre-programmed thing. So you, you jump around, you're firing your gun, you try different weapons, you try a different strategy, you try a new idea, and they're just like... Shoot, jump, run, run, shoot, jump, run, run, and that's it. They, they, they've got their thing that they do. That's all that they do. That's the only thing they do. They do it without thinking. Have you ever had a conversation like that? You jump in, you're Mega Man. Point, point, new strategy, little thing, and they're just doing their thing. They're just doing their thing automatically without even thinking. They're already deconstructing they're already thinking about it. They are not listening. The next time you're talking to someone that you need to reconcile with, try this. Ask them a question. Ask them to, to expand on their ideas, to expand on their fears and their worries. Ask them and listen. You know, you might not be able to say much, you might not be able to say anything, and if that's every conversation you have, then that's a different problem. But you might not get that chance to give them that huge piece of wisdom that you have, that you know will change their life, make everything better, and, and you know what? They might just walk away loved. And wouldn't that make a big difference? The other thing about listening is to ask people, what do you need from me? 
in order to feel reconciled and then listen. And, and a point on that is to think about what you need from them in order to feel reconciled. It's unfair for you to ask them what they need to feel reconciled if you haven't put any thought into it yourself. Listen. The third one is pray. Now, I think that we have a weird idea of what prayer is in the way that we pray for someone and we think it's only to make you know, them more successful in some way or something. I'm going to show you what I mean. I haven't practiced this or rehearsed it or anything like that. Dear Lord, we want to lift up to you the events in Ukraine. We want to lift up to you the people facing destruction and violence. Lord, we lift up to you, especially the soldiers of Russia. We ask that you move in their hearts, that you bring them your peace, you bring them your understanding, that you bless them and open their eyes. Lord, we ask that you bless the leaders of Russia, that you would move in them and bring them your peace. We plead with you, Lord, for the peace in the world, that you would move in all those who perpetuate violence. Amen. Praying for those who are in the wrong, who have wronged you, is a powerful tool in humanizing them and also bringing out the divine in their personhood and the way that you see God in them. Praying for them is how you find that, how it make it happen. I want to finish this morning with a bit of a question that goes back to the start of how we started the message this morning. This big final question of, if we have the Spirit in our lives, if we have Christ's Spirit, if we have the Holy Spirit, we have the Spirit of Christ moving and guiding us as the Bible promises is the case, then why are we so divided as a church? You know, in every polarizing issue, I see people on the extremes of both sides using Jesus' name to justify their actions and their opinions. How can this be the case? If the Spirit is there for us, and this is not a my attempt to fully answer that question, but maybe, just maybe, the Spirit isn't whispering the right opinions into all of our ears. Maybe, just maybe, what he's whispering is, be reconciled with your adversary. Do you need to hear that? I know I do. So thank you. And peace be with you.